In January of 2016, before my first semester as an English major, I picked up one of my course texts, skeptical but well-intentioned, to get a head start on the reading. Okay, Frankenstein. Letter one to Mrs. Sabell, England, St. Petersburg, December 11th. I rejoice to hear that no disaster has accompanied the commencement of an enterprise which you have regarded. Well, it's not as simple as that. Reading isn't the easiest thing for me. My welfare and increasing confidence in Petersburg. I feel a cold Before this, I took a year off from college because I wasn't doing too hot. Do you understand this feeling, this breeze, which has traveled through And after 21 years of struggling with reading and focus, I was diagnosed with ADD. Spirited by the wind of promise, my daydreams become more fervent and vivid. I try to see the frost and desolation. Sometimes reading feels like I'm bailing out a cruise ship with a thimble. The pole is the of frost and desolation. Ever And this is just the first page. These are my enticements, and they're so now I was back to school. Believe it or not to major, major in English. Introduced me to commence this laborious voyage with the joy a child feels when he embarks upon a little boat with his holiday mates on an expedition of discovery up his native river. <sighs> Back to school. On the first day of class, this tall, well-dressed professor strolls in and passes around a photocopy of that same first passage. He's the typical picture of a college professor. Wool suit, glasses, beard, and he starts talking about the course text in a typical way. So we're reading from the 1818 edition because uh, the 1818 edition... He begins to read... He's got that English nerd eyebrow raise and classic literary drama in his voice. Do you understand this feeling? This breeze, which has traveled from the regions towards classic which I am English advancing, professor. gives me a foretaste of those icy climes. Inspirited by this wind of promise, my daydreams become more fervent and vivid. Here we go. Time to, to sit back the pole and is the seat of frost and desolation. It ever presents itself to my imagination as the region of beauty and delight. There, Margaret, the sun is forever visible, its broad disk just skirting the horizon and diffusing a perpetual splendor. There, for with your leave, Wait, my sister, I will put some trust in preceding navigators. There, snow and frost are banished, and, sailing over a calm sea, we may be wafted to a land surpassing in wonders and in beauty every region I thought it was supposed to be about a monster. Globe. Its productions and features may be without example, as the phenomena of the heavenly bodies undoubtedly are in those undiscovered solitudes. What may not be expected in a country of eternal light? I may there discover the wondrous power which attracts the needle and may regulate a thousand celestial observations that require only this voyage to render their seeming eccentricities consistent forever. I shall satiate my ardent curiosity with the sight of a part of the world never before visited and may tread a land never before imprinted by the foot of man. 
These are my enticements, and they are sufficient to conquer all fear of danger or death, and to induce me to commence this laborious voyage with the joy a child feels when he embarks in a little boat with his holiday mates on an expedition of discovery up his native river. Hmm. But that was nice. supposing all these conjectures to be false, you cannot contest the inestimable benefit which I shall confer on all mankind to the last generation by discovering a passage near the pole to those countries to reach which at present so many months are requisite, or by ascertaining the secret of the magnet, which, if at all possible, can only be effected by an undertaking such as mine. Hmm. Maybe this won't be so bad. Welcome to Season 2 of Professors Are People Too. This semester, I'm throwing it back to my first days as an English major and then looking ahead to my final days. I was working in, in this episode, I'm taking you to the one class every English major has to take, English 2600, Introduction to Literary Studies with the tall, dark, and nerdy Dwight Coder. And this is your official... Spoiler alert. For Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Also another spoiler alert. You're not going to ask me to sing, are you? No. Good. But if you want to, I no, mean, I I'm open-minded. No, I definitely don't. No singing. Okay, maybe a little singing. I'm taking you back to spring 2016. I'm back from a year off and newly minted as an English major. I've got a lot of big ambitions for my first semester back. Do all my reading. It might sound pretty standard for an English major, but to me, this feels daunting. I know. It sounds crazy. English major with ADD? Okay, okay, I'll explain. Reading is a skill you need to get through life, right? That's never going to change. What's going to have to change is my relationship to reading. What better place to do that than an English major, right? And now that I know I have ADD, I think I know how to cope with it. Sure, I usually can't sustain the focus to read an article I saw on Facebook, but that's different. Books are interesting and exciting and fun. And then I read Professor Coder's syllabus. Week one. Read Frankenstein. Pages one through the end. A hundred and sixty pages. Chapter five. It was on a dreary night in November that I Okay, Allie, breathe. It's fine. You'll just pace yourself. Ugh. I collected the instruments of life around me. Use an audiobook and a highlighter. With an anxiety that almost accounted to agony. It was already one in the morning. The rain pattered dismally against the panes, and my candle and hey, burned out. And hey, this book's not and so bad. Of the ha- half but this Cookies and Cream Hershey bar wrapper is also pretty captivating reading material. I had worked hard for nearly two years. I'm just going to take a really quick Instagram break. For this, I had deprived myself of health and rest. I had desired it with an ardor that far exceeded moderation. But now, Oh my god, Mary Shelley, there's so many words in this book. Breathless horror fill and disgust. Okay, so it's Tuesday night. Class is tomorrow at five. Let the math begin. Okay. Let's see. 
page 95. Just the rest of the book to go. Uh, oh my god. Before I know it, it's Wednesday, 4 p.m. Class is in an hour, and I have 60 pages to go. And since I wasn't going to spend another minute in class pretending I did the reading, I went to turn myself in. Professor Coder and I talked about it recently, and this is what he remembers from that afternoon. I came to you, and I was like, oh, yeah, I re- maybe I not in tears, but like almost. No, you weren't. I, I don't think you were in tears at all. I think you were. You had a very clear-headed sense of what you at that time perceived to be your limits. Um, and you expressed to me your reservations about literary studies. Um, and we talked about reading, and we talked about um, specifically speed reading, uh, not reading fast, but reading slow. Um, and what I shared with you was that um, there is this myth that somehow to be an English major, you have to devour books one after the other and consume words off the page like, you know, a handful of peanuts. And um, what I told you was that I actually also am a very slow reader and I take my time, uh, not out of some sense of my special level of attentiveness, but just it takes me time to read. It takes me time to make my way through a page and to process it in the way that I want to process it. Um, and that you didn't have to think about the task of studying English as as a process of of reading as much as possible, but just getting as much as you can out of what you can read. I didn't know an English professor like this existed, much less the English professor wearing a tweed jacket and reading texts like Frankenstein. Maybe I can do this. But here's the thing I was still curious about. I, for the longest time, had a great aversion towards the study of literature because I thought that you know, if it took me three to five minutes to read a page, it was going to be impossible for me to finish a novel. Wait a minute. I thought an English major was supposed to love reading from the day they were born. I thought they lived their lives cloistered in a bookstore or absorbing the better half of a library. I didn't know any of them, let alone a professor, used to have an aversion to reading. Professor Coder usually started most classes with an invitation to his office hours. Since I wasn't loving the literature like an English major yet, I thought I'd consult a professor who did love it and see how he got there. So my first major as an undergraduate was in economics. I I enjoyed it. Uh, I just, it didn't provide me with the kind of pleasure and satisfaction that I was getting elsewhere. So I changed my major from economics to communication studies, Mm -hmm. which I enjoyed quite a bit. But I found that the courses I was taking didn't it, it felt to me like I was being forced into a job from the day I showed up, that they had very specific vocational tracks. It was like a trade school. Yeah, it, it wasn't. Right, it wasn't. but it felt, yeah. But, but, but in the way that the, the kinds of courses I was being asked to take, to me, was, was a little bit overly constricting, I felt. 
So I then started taking courses in philosophy, which I really enjoyed a lot and felt very at home in philosophy departments. And then kind of on a lark, I took a course on reading criticism, reading literary criticism and literary theory. And that's when I really knew that I was interested in English because I found that all of my interest in communication, all of my interest in philosophical ideas, they were satisfied in that environment. Um, and when I got to graduate school, I realized I can study literature and economics, and that can be my area of research. So all of my undergraduate passions that I kind of pursued, uh, I could bring them all together, and that's ultimately what I did. So, hmm. so you, like this wasn't a day one thing? This was not a day one thing. No, it was certainly a work in progress. Professor Coder's story was kind of blowing my mind, because I assumed my professors had it together from the moment they entered undergrad. That and the fact that it looked a lot like my scrambled college experience. I started in 2011 as an actor training major at the Hart School at the University of Hartford, and then I figured out acting wasn't really my thing. When I came to UConn, I started as a women, gender, and sexuality studies major. I did that for two semesters and dropped out. That's where the ADD came in. When I finally decided to come back, I chose English because I knew I needed to learn the love of literature, or at least tolerate reading. In office hours, I think I was finding the love of reading and maybe a few other ideas. Um, uh, I could bring them all together, and that's ultimately what I did. Interesting. Very interesting. Since then, I've stopped by Professor Coder's office a few more times. Are you, like, really good at chess? I'm not good at chess, but I like playing. And when we did this interview, I brought a chess board. Here, we'll, we'll do this uh, the old-fashioned way. I'm going okay. to take one white pawn and one black okay. pawn, and I'm going to... I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. Do you, like, go to parks? I have played at places like Washington Square Park. Yeah. I mean... I really didn't know. Okay, actually, just quickly, we need to reverse these pieces. This is so embarrassing. That's, that's okay, that's okay. You're the, a little mnemonic queen on color. In class, when we would read Frankenstein, Professor Coder would just light up. Quote, and Victor continues, Clairval, beloved friend, even now it delights me to record your words and to dwell on the praise. And I couldn't help but also get excited about this stuff at the same time. Now, this passage is absolutely fascinating. Which is probably what drew me to his office hours in the first place. Victor looks at Henry and quotes these lines from Wordsworth's Tintern Abbey, which are about the unmediated appreciation of the natural world. I wanted to get excited about something the way he did. But I wasn't that type of English major, even though I really wanted to be. On the one hand, it was refreshing, because I was so used to seeing books as boring and reading as tedious. He injected it with such verve and excitement. But on the other hand, the vulnerable side of me wondered if I could be an English major if I didn't have this excitement already. You don't feel like you're standing up there sort of giving your spiel, already being sold on literature, already being sold on the importance of having conversations about ideas with other people. Yeah. You don't feel like you're struggling to get that across, right? I don't worry about that. Like, and and I'm not trying to like challenge yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I no, I get, yeah, but, like, I get it. Go why ahead. Why not? Um, 
Well, for one, we all get bored. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like boredom is some kind of affect that should be ruled out of the university environment as though it's some kind of toxin or disease and once acquired can never be shed again. <laughs> um, I think the um, I think the reality is is that we become mentally fatigued and it can be hard to maintain interest. That's my job is to spark the interest. I know that there's boredom out there. I mean, one of the things that I think is, is also a, a great um, mistake that um, people outside of the academy, and, and, and maybe some, some in, but I think it's less common, have about what we do is that we're content delivery providers. Um, as though my job as a university professor is to stand in front of people and tell them things that they don't know. And that's just not the nature of my classroom. And I think it's, I think every good teacher um, at any institution um, would immediately balk if they were told, you're really good at delivering content. Because you know what's also really good at delivering content? The internet. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it does it better mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's going to be more targeted. Another side effect of my ADD has been falling in love with podcasts. They are interesting and accessible, and they spark interest. I wanted to spark that interest for others, so I took Professor Coder's advice, and I pieced together the things that I love. I made this podcast, and I hope to make a career in podcasting. As I approach graduation, I see that the English major and the office hours that went along with it were probably the best place to do this. This is where I started to break down that romantic image of the English major and where the image of who I wanted to be as an English major could start to grow. I think one of the more interesting things is that, you know, I I talk to um, students about, you know, jobs and career prospects and that kind of thing. And I think one of the things that's um, that's oftentimes forgotten um, is that, you know, when you get your degree, you're still the same person, mm-hmm. right? Unless you try to change who you are as a person. Um, and I think that what happens for students of literature is that they, they go into the study of English because they, quote unquote, love reading, but they actually stay in it and they change and they become better people because they start to really think about it as a serious pursuit as something that's actually work. At the end of Frankenstein, Victor is defeated. Defeated by his unstoppable thirst for knowledge and his obsession to create human life. But he knew better the whole time. In the middle of the novel, Victor gives us a piece of advice that he should really take himself. A human being in perfection ought always to preserve a calm and peaceful mind and never to allow passion or a transitory desire to disturb his tranquility. I do not think that the pursuit of knowledge is an exception to this rule. If the study to which you apply yourself has a tendency to weaken your affections and destroy your taste for those simple pleasures, then that study is certainly unlawful, that is to say, not befitting the human mind. I still haven't read much of Hemingway or the entirety of Paradise Lost. But in Professor Coder's office hours, I could see a picture of the English major I could be. The one I am. The one whose proudest accomplishment is reading a 600-page book, 
the one who's done original research, and the one who's made a podcast about the people who've encouraged her to do that. I've decided that Allie the English major doesn't have to be a walking anthology or the grammar police. I'm piecing together a career for myself, informed not so much by the texts I read, but the excitement of those who teach them. Maybe an English major in perfection isn't any one of these images. It's more likely all of them. Pieced together and brought to life. for listening to the first episode of season two of Professors Are People Too. All my thanks go to Katie Tularski, Melanie Hepburn, Sean Forbes, Jason McMullen, Danielle Shalhoub, and Pavel Kostic for all their help and support with this episode. And a big thanks to Professor Dwight Coder. Thank you for helping me find the English major I am. And next time we play chess, you're going down. If you love Professors or People Too, subscribe or leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whus.org. And if you don't love us, sorry. And if you miss me between episodes, follow Professors Are People Too on Instagram to get little updates and pictures from me in the studio. Until then, I'm Ali Oshinsky, and this is... Professor. 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 Professors Are People Too. Nothing you could do. <laughs>